The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. If you'll turn to Genesis chapter 31, and I'm going to read a kind of a lengthy portion. I don't usually like to do that, but I think it's necessary this morning to get our minds completely into what's going on here. And in Genesis 37, we begin in verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept a saying in mind. You see, his father had had his own dealings with God, and he wasn't really quick to dismiss this. Now his brothers went to the, to the pasture, pasture, their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the, the flocks at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from, uh, from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him wandering the fields and the man asked him, what are you seeking? <clears throat> I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me please where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. They saw him from afar. And before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we'll just see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him. And they threw him into the pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. The world is full of human cruelty. Ever since Cain, there has been cruelty in many forms. We're reminded of what William Wadsworth once called man's inhumanity to man. Our news feeds are filled with daily doses of inhumanity. There's enough perversions mutilations, atrocities, multiple murders to make us all sure 
that our generation is just as barbaric as any before us. In spite of this sad exposure, we're still moved by the story of the cruelty of Jacob's other sons to his brother, Joseph. One writer puts it this way, quote, we read of the very cruel actions performed by the degenerate sons of Adam, but it is not easy to find a parallel in history to the cruel intentions and to the cruel conduct of Joseph's brothers. Cain was of the wicked one and he slew his brother and has left a name and infamy to all the generations of mankind. But where shall we find nine men conspiring at once to kill a brother? A brother whose amiable qualities deserve their warmest love. A brother who tenderly loved them and was in the very act of showing this love to them at the time when their fury broke loose upon him. They took, avenge, they, they took advantage of his love, for they wreaked hatred upon him, end of quote. This is a harsh statement but it's certainly not too harsh because when you realize what the brothers were conspiring, you realize that there was an evilness in their heart that was barbaric at best. So what I want us to understand this morning is that bitterness destroys. Bitterness destroys. In Hebrews, we are warned about this in Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You see, envy or jealousy means ill will occasioned by another's good fortune. It involves superiority in the one envied and resentment by the person who envies. It is terribly destructive, not only to the ones being envied, but to the one who is harboring this envy. The Bible says in Proverbs 14.30, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. James writes in James 3.16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And here's the reason why. Envy is an angry resistance to God's decrees. Envy is an angry resistance to God's decrees. Consequently, it is ultimately resentment of God and hatred of him. And this is the essential issue in the matter of Joseph's dreams. The brothers had envied him before, as the text tells us. They envied him for his good qualities, which revealed their evil ones, and because of their father's choice of Joseph. But this was not merely resentment of the circumstances. And here's the key you and I really need to grasp as we'll develop this through our time together this morning. Ultimately, God is responsible for circumstances. God is responsible for circumstances. So the brother's envy was essentially a resentment of what God was doing through Joseph's dreams. So when we come to our point that says God's message to Joseph enraged the brothers, what I want you to do in your message bulletin is take your pen and underline God's message, those two words. God's message to Joseph enraged the brothers. The first dream, 
brothers would bow down to Joseph. The first dream was about grain. The dream, he dreamed that he and his brothers were out in the field and his sheaf suddenly rises up and all theirs gathers around and bows down to him. It did not take a seer to interpret this. This was not a subtle dream. The human side says, it's not fair. This isn't right. But the spirit side asks, what is God doing? What is God doing in this situation? This dream meant that at some time in the future, the brothers, all of, of all of but one was older than Joseph, would bow down to Joseph. And naturally, they resisted it. They made no bounds about it. They hated and cried foul at these dreams. The second dream, sun, moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to Joseph. Obviously, this involved his parents as well as his brothers, which his father recognized. And as we saw in verse 10, but when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you are dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? Now, you see, we all might be prone to take the brother's side here. I mean, really, who gets off saying that you're going to bow down to me? But a spirit-led person always looks beyond the circumstances to see the hand of God. And this is with a situation with these brothers. Now, we may argue here that Joseph was not very wise to tell such dreams. I mean, when you think of it from a human perspective, perhaps he was naive. But whether he was unwise or whether he was naive or, or whether he sensed God's responsibility to share this, the point is the brothers hated the idea that he's telling them they're going to bow down to him. Now, this would be a good time for us to go back and grab our verse that we seem to bring up week to week, Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. It's all things, not some things, not a few things. All things work together for good. Now, if you're prone to be frustrated with God, did you ever stop to think that if the brothers didn't hate him so vilely, he never would have wound up in Egypt where God's plan was. He never would have got to Egypt. He was content. He was happy. Life was good. Loved his family. The income was good. He had his, his inheritance there. But it was the hatred of his brothers that set him on the path that God ordered for him. The text says in Genesis 37, 8, his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now this suggests that what they really hated was God's decrees regarding Joseph and their lives and therefore they hated God for them. Otherwise, why would they get upset? I mean, just think about it. He's a kid. So the kid had some crazy dreams. Pat him on the head, send him on his way. No big deal, right? Why get so bent out of shape? No, they knew 
that there was far more and it scared them and it aggravated them and it made them very angry. And since they hated Joseph so intently, it's clear that they were taking these dreams seriously and perhaps actually revealing what God might do and they just hated God for this. So later on, when they saw Joseph coming towards them, they said in Genesis 37, 20, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. You see, this put them against God. This revealed their malice towards Joseph. Now, we know that Joseph is a type of Christ. So did you ever make the connection between the brothers trying to kill Joseph so he wouldn't be able to rule over them and the Pharisees trying to kill Christ so he wouldn't rule over them? You see, the world does not want to bow the knee. The world does not want to bow to God's leading and his circumstances. And so anger and rage ensues. So beware of envy. Donald Gray Brownhouse wrote years ago, quote, how unfortunate that many are not willing to take the place which God has assigned to them in this world. When a man is covetous and envious, he is saying, God, I'm not satisfied. You didn't give me what I want. Such a man would dethrone God and, re and redeal the events and possessions of life so that he being little would be exalted. End of quote. And so we invent messages and ministries and principles centered around our right. Hear me our right to be happy and successful. And that becomes our theology. And that rules our days. Look, was it fair that Joseph was a slave and a prisoner for better than 13 years? Would you choose that life for yourself? We have this whole life thing out of balance. And it's why we constantly say, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about him. We were created to bring glory to God. Our lives are designed to radiate Christ, not my own will. And this is what gets into this whole mess of bitterness and envy. Because whether we realize it or not, we often harbor this in our hearts and it's made for many people the driving force in their lives. The Bible says in Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And so we have this whole life thing out of balance. And it's why we constantly say that it's not about me. Do you think if it was about Joseph, he would have gone through all of this? Absolutely not. God is the one in control of our circumstances. And he's the one orchestrating our lives even when you and I don't see it. So this naturally leads then to branches of bitterness. Another step in the brother's unjustified antagonism to Joseph is hatred. 
which we have already mentioned, and since it grows out of envy. But we must mention it separately because it is envy's bitter branch. In fact, it is so closely connected with envy that we should probably say that envy in itself is a form of hatred, and hatred in its fullest sense is inevitably jealousy that's taken root in the heart. The text tells us that three times his brothers said they hated him. Genesis 37, four, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Verse five, now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Verse eight, his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. If the dreams were from God, as the brothers may have suspected and perhaps feared, they indicated that God had elected Joseph to, a, to certain earthly favors. Joseph was not like them. He was godly while they were godless, and they hated him for it. But here, in addition, we find them hating him because God had chosen him for a position of special future prominence. This reminds us of what the Lord Jesus Christ was telling his disciples when he had them together. He'd been reminding them of his election of them. John 15, 16, Christ said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And then he continues in verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. These two verses contain the same two principles we see about Joseph. Hatred for being different and hatred for being chosen. To the brothers, Joseph was the one that got it all. And they were resentful. They were resentful. And there are many today that are so angry because they didn't get the blessings they see others having that they miss what God is doing in their own life. Here's a life principle, folks. Bitterness robs us of God's perspective. Bitterness robs us of God's perspective. So they tell us that the situation is the same today as it was in Joseph's generation. If by the grace of God, you are different from ungodly people around you, and by grace is the only way you ever can or will be different, then the world will hate you as it hated Joseph. It's inevitable. If you show by your conduct that you have been chosen out of your past wicked state and have been directed to obey God, then the world will hate you for your election to goodness and godliness. So what we must take care of is seeing that the branch or root of bitterness or envy does not produce the branch of bitterness or hatred in our own life. On the contrary, you must live as Joseph lived and trust God to care for you even in life's 
injustices and even when others revile you. So this naturally then leads to the fruit of bitterness. As the story shows, the root of bitterness leading to the branch of bitterness also shows production of the fruit of bitterness, which in this case was the tangible act of attempted murder. Rest assured, our bitterness will bear fruit. Our bitterness will result in either lashing out or inner destruction. There's no other way. In Galatians, we read of the fruit of the Spirit contrasted with the acts of sinful nature. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 23. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Attempted murder was the fruit of bitterness in the lives of the brothers. Jacob had sent Joseph to find his brothers. He had gone out to Shechem, but they weren't there. So his path went from Hebron to Shechem and then on to Dotham, and it was a journey of four days. So Joseph clearly cared for his brothers and was obeying his his father to get the good report and to check on them and see how they were. But when the brothers saw him coming, they said, here comes the dreamer. And back in verse 19 and 20, they said to one another, here this is this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we'll see what will become of his dreams. Like Satan, trying to interrupt the plans of God. And bitterness, folks, will interrupt the plans of God in your life. They had no thought of what this would do to the father and mother. They cared nothing about the results of their actions. They did not want to be confronted with this man anymore. But Reuben intervened. Verse 21, but when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into a pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hands and restore him to his father. You see, Reuben planned to have him just discard him in a pit, and then he would double back later, get him out of the pit and get him back to his father. But Reuben's plan misfired because before he could get him out, the brothers sold him to a Midianite trader as a slave. And by the way, for the exact same amount, that Judas was paid to betray Christ. 20 pieces of silver. Now, it would be wonderful if we could say that only 
things, things like this only take place in the Old Testament. They only take place with people who aren't Christians. But unfortunately, envy hate, and hatred and vicious actions have been found in the church. We find the example of this in Philippians where the Apostle Paul, writing from prison of Rome, talks about those of his day. He says in Philippians 1, 15 to 17, some indeed preach Christ of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, Paul's not complaining. He's actually rejoicing. But his words reveal that there were Christians in Rome who tried to make life tough for him. There were Christians in Rome that tried to make life tough while he was still in prison. Paul was the greatest intellect of his time, the greatest ambassador of the church. He, of all people, should have been lifted up and protected. But instead, and perhaps for the same reason of Joseph's brothers, Paul was resented and efforts were expanded to discredit him and make life difficult. You know, many theologians believe that Paul likely lost his life as the, react, as the reaction or the result of what these Christians did. There's little information that surrounds the real truth about his death, but what information is there that exists suggests that envy led some Christians to denounce Paul, Paul of all people. Envy and strife cause trouble in those days, and so do they cause trouble today. Not necessarily to death, but in the declining impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, never before in history have we had the opportunities to proclaim the gospel as we do today. Yet never has the believing church been more irrelevant or more divided. We have money, we have talent, there are opportunities for spreading the gospel with the incredible reaches of social media today, and yet for the most part, the Christian church is concerned about themselves, their own success, and their own comfort. So let me draw this to a conclusion by our last point. The mind of Christ, the antidote for bitterness. What we need is what Joseph exhibited in his day and what Paul speaks of in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here, is the ultimate description of Joseph's success. Joseph humbly obeyed God. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. You see, Joseph was sold into slavery 
But then he was sold into Potiphar's house and he emptied himself by taking his loneliness, his frustration, his fear, and putting it aside and making it his goal to serve Potiphar's house to the best of his ability. He was so good at it that he was given leadership over the whole house. And he's falsely accused and thrown into prison. And what does he do when he gets to prison? Becomes the best servant he possibly can. And he winds up running the inner prison. The secret to Joseph's victory over bitterness was that his mind was single on God. And no matter what the circumstances that came into his life, God increased and he decreased. He served everyone within his household. You want to know how to defeat bitterness? Serve the one who's bitter. You want to know how to have victory over envy and strife? Love the ones who have the problem with you. You want to know how to have victorious and bring glory to God? Let God see Let God be seen through your life. You want to know how to have a life of success that walks where God's hand is on you, directing you every way, follow his hand. You see, it's mind-boggling when you consider the things that this man went through. I mean, being sold like common meat by brothers, your own loved ones, who you're supposed to love. And they're being sold into slavery. Yet every step, Joseph goes, I'm going to serve God. Whatever happens, God has allowed it. I'm going to see past this because God is the God of circumstances. And there's not one of us in this room, if you're honest with yourself, who would be in any of those circumstances and think they're of God. Seriously. God would make me a slave? Come on. God is a God of love. He's not going to allow that. God's going to put me in prison? Come on. This does not jive with our human understanding. And that's because God's ways are not our ways. His plans are way above us. And the God who created the heavens and the earth and the constellations and the planets and all things and all people and every creeping thing is certainly a God who knows exactly what he's doing when it comes to your life. So the more you can reset your mind and heart and focus on God to guide you through, you will find the most beautiful life, static and all. (laughs) Didn't get by with that one, did he? I mean, (laughs) look at me. I had the greatest job in the world. God took it. But now look where I am. He'll do it for you. All things work together for good. Put your name in it. Write your problem in it. Give it to God. He must increase. We must decrease. Let his spirit rule and reign in your life. You may not become prime minister. You may not 
be instrumental in freeing people from famine. But I guarantee you will be what God wants you to be, and the angels will rejoice. That ought to be the number one priority in our life. And if Joseph can do it, you and I can do it. We have everything we need to be Joseph's. The question is, will we step up to the plate and do it? Father, we thank you this morning for your amazing grace. It's mind-boggling, Lord, to think that you could take something like bitterness and use it for your glory. But these brothers who expressed wretched bitterness will one day find mercy because of what they did. And Lord, if any of us here are the ones who are bitter, may we recognize that there's mercy in Christ. These brothers were about as vile as they could be, yet at the end of the story, they find freedom. And anyone in this room this morning who's struggling with bitterness and anger, who's struggling looking at the world around us and wondering how you could let these things happen, there's mercy and there's grace. You are control of every situation in Joseph's life. You're in control of every situation today. Our country is in massive turmoil. It's nothing to you. You're in control of all of it. And all things will work together for those who love you. May bitterness never be a part of our lives. I thank you for what you will do in the hearts of each one of us as you free us from this horrible human characteristic and that we may with Isaiah mount up with wings as eagles to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint because of Jesus Christ in whose name we give you the praise and glory. Amen. God bless. Amen.